Today is June 3rd, 2021, and we are recording for a June 9th episode. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, the show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. My guest today is Anor Horton. I am so excited to have you here, Anor, who is the Executive Director for Hunger Free Vermont. Hi, Trey. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, this is, this is so great. Um, and just a little bit about Anor. She received her master's degree in teaching from the University of San Diego, and then a master's in history from Princeton University. Uh, spent 15 years in higher education, teaching the history of social movements and public policy in the U.S., and Latin America, uh, directed volunteer literacy and ESL programs for children and immigrants in California and New York, and in seven years managing hunger-free Vermont's nutrition initiatives. So, Anor, where are you actually physically located this moment? I am in my downstairs uh, study slash guest bedroom uh, at my home in Williston, Vermont. Williston, that's fantastic. Well, again, thank you for joining us uh, on the show today. So um, let's talk a little bit about before you ended up in Williston and you went into education. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and sort of what led you here. Yeah, well, um, it was a strange and winding road and the F-35s are choosing this moment to go overhead. So I apologize for the background noise. Do you want to pause? For... Um, but um, yeah, so I grew up in um, San Diego, California. I was born in Chicago, um, but moved to San Diego when I was really young. And, um, you know, I, I think I went into education. My father's a, a law professor. Um and my mother was a substitute teacher for a, a chunk of time. And I also had some really influential teachers growing up. And I um, thought, wow, if I could make a difference in the lives of young people, um, that would really be amazing. And, and um, then the other thing that happened for me in high school is that um, I was introduced to um, kind of the alternative alternative ways of uh, thinking about U.S. history and discovering that the standard history that that I had been learning uh, wasn't actually accurate. <laughs> and uh, I got really excited about learning about all the ways that ordinary people had really transformed this country um, through protest and fighting for better working conditions and women's rights and um, black civil rights. And uh, I got really excited about the power of learning about how ordinary people can make a difference. Um, you know, how that could change your life. I felt like it changed my life. And I thought, wow, I want to be the kind of history professor who um, has the light go on like that for, for other, other folks. And so that's why I went into education. And, you know, you point out something that's so true, Anora, and, and it's good to bring it up. And that is the influence is so powerful among when you're young uh, from your teachers, from those 
who are providing that support, whether that's in a home setting or, or in an actual uh, physical school setting, no matter what you go into life, you know, almost all of us were shaped in our career decisions at some point, somehow through what interests us in, uh, in our earlier education time and, uh, and how that was taught to us. So it's, you know, their positions are so important and they make a difference in the lives of so many. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can still remember one of my history teachers in high school who got so excited about something he was telling us about that he, he jumped up on one of our desks and he started like walking around the room on the top of, of our desks. And I never did that myself as a teacher, but he was so passionate, you know, it was the passion there that was so engaging. And I, I think that that's a really valuable lesson we can all learn about pursuing our passions and expressing our passion, because that's what has other people want to get involved with us. Absolutely. And that is how you influence others. Exactly. So, and that's how you actually motivate and inspire others. So what, what motivated you and inspired you to leave education directly and go into, uh, come to Vermont and go in, into what you do today? Well, um, so before I became, before I went down the path of becoming a college professor, um, I was uh, involved in, in activism you know, and, 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 and advocacy work, especially actually around um, U.S. foreign policy and uh, U.S. intervention in Latin America. When I was in college, the two big issues um, were, were that one and um, having um, U.S. companies stop supporting apartheid in South Africa. So when I went to college, I got really involved in those, in those two efforts. And um, and so, and I, and I was engaged in that work at the same time that I was going through school. And that was a lot of what motivated me to go into education, you know, and teach the subject matters that I taught. Um, and so then I, I was in, you know, in higher education for quite a while. Um, and, and I met my, um, my spouse, my life partner, um, Felicia Cornblue, and, uh, you know, I made the mistake of falling in love with another academic, you know, not a good idea because it's hard to get two jobs in the same place, you know, right, so I tried right. that for a while. And she ended up being um, recruited to the University of Vermont. And um, at right around that same time, I was kind of feeling like I loved being a teacher. I loved my work. And at the same time, I felt like I wanted to be more part of a team on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be more directly getting back into advocacy work. And so I was thinking about maybe it's time for a change for me at the same time that, that we ended up choosing to move to Vermont for work. And um, so we moved here and uh, I started looking for uh, what would be next for me. And uh, I had a list, I sat down and I made a list of what was really what I really wanted in a new career. And it was very short, actually, I wanted a, a short commute to work, because I had been an hour to work in my last job in North Carolina. And I wanted um, to be working with a team of people on a daily basis. And I wanted to 
feel like every night I could go to bed feeling like I had made a direct difference somehow that day. That was it. That was my list. Um, and so <laughs> I so have I started, to tell you that's quite a list though. And so what happened? So I started applying. I just started applying for any, I mean, I didn't know anything about Vermont, right? I had never right. been here before and I didn't know anyone. <laughs> so I just started applying for any job I saw that seemed like it would fit that criteria. Um, you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things in this world that I would like to change. And I think we all could say that. And so the particular cause at that time wasn't so important to me as this ability to make a difference somewhere. And so through a connection through the University of Vermont, through someone's wife who worked at United Way, um, I, you know, it was like sort of the circuitous path of ending up um, being encouraged to apply for this position at Hunger Free Vermont. And I said, you know, come on, I, I know nothing about hunger. I know nothing, it was, to, it was to manage child nutrition work. And I know nothing about, you know, young you know, kids and kids and hunger. I've never worked in the food system world before, um, but okay. So, uh, and here I am uh, almost going on 11 years later. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so tell us then, and over that 11 years, not what you've learned, that would take too long. We don't have that amount of time today. But how do you organize the food security landscape in your mind? Yeah. Well, you know, first I'll say that what I have really come, there's just two things I have really come to understand mm -hmm. about hunger um, and why it's such a foundational issue. And it's become my deep, deep passion, um, because hunger is kind of like the canary in the coal mine for so many other issues that people are facing. Um, food is the one part of your basic essential needs budget that's flexible. And when, when folks are facing a challenge which is really just an economic challenge. It's an income challenge. That's what hunger is really. Mm. You've got to understand that when people start to cut back on the amount of food they eat or the quality of the food that they eat, the nutritional value of the food that they eat, they're doing that because there's, there's stress everywhere in their world, right? And that's the thing right. that you can cut back on. So that's a place where we could go to work to really tackle a lot of challenges, health challenges and financial stress and psychological stress challenges that people have, uh, in addition to ending this direct suffering that is experiencing hunger. Um, and the other thing is that um, the, the stigma um, attached to not being able to afford enough food for yourself and your family is extreme. It's an extreme form of stigma in our society. And it keeps people from getting the um, food assistance that's available to them. And that is the thing that upsets me more than anything else. That is the thing that gets me out of bed every morning to go fight hunger another day because it affects young kids in schools. It affects older folks who've worked their whole lives um, you know, and deserve a comfortable retirement. It affects working people. It affects everyone. Um, and that stigma is a barrier 
that we've created as a as a society, and we've got to dismantle it. Um, and so, so those are kind of the two two um, lenses that I look at the food system through in asking, like, okay, what's the work that Hunger Free Vermont should be doing next? Right. So your example of the um, of the canary in the coal mine, or or just using that as as an analogy there is so true because, you know, as a physician, that's what I see. I see people who are past that point uh, who have become ill, not just directly because they didn't have enough food, although we sometimes see that, but it plays an enormous part in disease processes. And I'm I'm not sure that um, we've been able to really connect those dots, at least as a public, until, you know, recently, like in the 2000s with the concepts of of overall uh, population health and social determinants of health. And and sometimes those phrases kind of get to be buzzwords that we overuse, but they are so true, connecting those dots. Uh, But thinking about uh, not being able to get enough food as sort of the precursor, where, how far down the line can we go to stop the progression of people getting sick, getting ill? And then, of course, all the enormous resources and costs that are associated with that. Um, and we could keep talking on that. So let, let's move forward. You mentioned the things that uh, need to be done. What, what are the most pressing projects right now on your to-do list? Uh, well, um, obviously, um, responding to um, the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic um, kind of overarches everything uh, in the way that we're thinking about responding right now. Um, so, you know, one thing that's really important as our state, Vermont, moves out of this health state of emergency is to really pay attention to what's gonna happen to all the different special programs that have been started um, by federal funding and state funding um, that that are helping to provide a housing safety net for people, a food safety net for people, and the consequences of, um, shifting out of that state of emergency, um, you know, is going to cause a lot of those programs to end. And then do we have anything in place at the state level to, to replace that? Because I think, um, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic revealed a lot of people who were already in extremely vulnerable situations before mm-hmm. the pandemic, but it shined a light on, on that situation. And it had us, forced us to realize how we all are affected. Our own well-being and safety and health are actually tied to one another. And we decided to do something about that collectively. Um, and now we have to really work to make sure that we learn the lessons of the pandemic and we um, don't go back to the way things work. I mean, that would be a, a, an absolute tragedy. You know, what are we going to do so that we don't have people in those vulnerable situations again going forward? We don't have to go back. Uh, and and Hunger Free Vermont's, you know, our work right now, we understand it, is to make sure that we don't go back. And you highlight, Anor, um, 
the how the social economic disparity was was uh, really came out in the beginning of the pandemic in the early days. Uh, certain people just could not get the resources, nor did they have uh, the educational background to understand and 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 navigate this complicated um, system that developed early on. And now moving forward, there, there's a different problem because the, the socioeconomically disadvantaged and, and those with the less education are actually less protected from the virus that will certainly resurge this winter among unvaccinated individuals. So there will need to be efforts there. Um, those that aren't vaccinated are going to um, face or, or, or protected from previous infection are going to be facing significant challenges this winter and they tend to congregate, so it's gonna make it worse. So I applaud everything that you and your organization are doing. Uh, what can the public do to reach out and support Hunger Free Vermont? Um, well, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people can make a difference. Um, and one way is through, um, you know, getting signed up for our, um, e-news and our advocacy alerts, because a lot of what we do is we try to muster a groundswell of support for, um, you know, making systemic changes so that we can really actually end hunger. Um, and so we call upon people, uh, the public, to take action on, on different measures. And um, so, you know, that's one way. Uh, we have 10 hunger councils uh, that cover all the regions of Vermont and the Upper Valley of New Hampshire. And anyone can join your regional hunger council and be part of a local uh, conversation where you live about what are the most pressing hunger challenges and what kind of work needs to be done um, at, the, at the local and regional level to tackle some of those. And how can you collectively regionally raise your voices to um, call upon our, our, our own state government and our federal government to make the changes we need to make. So those are, those are two ways right there. Um, and you can go to our website and sign up for all of that. <laughs> so that is, um, so the, the bottom line for a lot of our listeners out there, uh, if you're not already involved uh, in food security is, is awareness and educating yourself so that you understand it. You know, for, for the direct reasons we've talked about, as well as those indirect reasons that it leads to, um, to an economic and social disparity uh, that leads to more disease. And this, this podcast itself is focused on, on health. And for those of you who started off wondering where we were going to go with this, now you see the connection that we're talking about. So tell us a little bit about some success stories that you've had. Um, and, and, you know, especially in the beginning, you came into it and you said, I, you know, you didn't have much of a background on food security. Yeah, but I did have a background in organizing people to do stuff. So right. that turned out to be really, really helpful. That's right. You're um, a strong advocate. So you know how yeah. to organize. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking about this a little bit. And um, there's two different kinds of success that we have uh, at Hunger Free Vermont and it, any advocacy organization, I think uh, you could say this. So there's the there's the successes that um, you see. So that's kind of the positive movement forward that we make happen. And those would be things like the many laws that we've actually gotten enacted here in Vermont at the state level um, that actually have expanded um, 
food security, especially for children in our state. So um, Hunger-Free Vermont um, eliminated, we became the first state in 2013 to eliminate the reduced price charges to families for school meals. And instead to have our state government, all of us collectively, pay those costs. Mm -hmm. And that um, really expanded uh, food access for kids um, in in a key kind of group of of folks who are low income, um, but not uh, in food insecure, but not um, not the most low income. Right. And I think it's really hard for people to grasp that um, because of the way the federal programs are set up that that um, and the income limits that are set up on those programs, you can be over income for school meals for your kids. You know, you can make too much money to get school meals, free school meals, but still be food insecure. And in fact, up to 42 percent of the food insecure kids in our state are in households that are, you know, over income for these key programs. So by eliminating uh, this this fee category for a certain group of families, we we were able to really reach many more um, kids who were food insecure in Vermont with school meals. And um, and now we are we're going um, for full universal breakfast and lunch for all kids. Um, in our state. We want Vermont to be the first state in the country to just say, you know what, a healthy breakfast and lunch is part of your education, educational day at school. And in fact, if everybody doesn't have those together, um, it's actually pretty hard for people to learn. (laughs) Um, And we're just going to eliminate that barrier for everyone. And we're going to stop categorizing kids by their family income in our school cafeterias. So that's... um, you know, that's some of the work that we have done where um, you can see like a new progressive difference being made. But there's another kind of advocacy that's equally important and sometimes takes a lot of our time and that's stopping really bad things from happening. So that's the, what you don't see because if, mm-hmm. if the bad thing happened, you'd notice Right. A lot of what we do and a lot in the last the last federal administration, honestly, was working really hard to stop cuts to the SNAP program, what we call Three Squares Vermont. Um, It was really an effort to destroy that program, which is the biggest food and nutrition safety net we have in our country and and the biggest one we have in our state. And um, we were able, working with our partners around the country, um, to successfully halt um, multiple harmful changes to that program. So um, I'm really proud of both those kinds of advocacy and you have to do both. Um, And uh, so those are just a few examples. Those are great. And, you know, a couple of thoughts I had listening to these, listening to you and these wonderful stories. Let's see, going backwards here, you know, when people hear this and they think, how can something be cut? It's not that there are bad people out there trying to cut things. It's a lack of awareness. And that's exactly why advocacy is so important to bring that to the forefront. And then second, you brought up a, a wonderful point um, that's truly population health. When you talked about um, that there are certain students that may not have uh, good resources to, to uh, food, and that actually affects 
the whole student body, right? And so by, by helping to supply food sort of indiscriminately, just we need healthy foods so that our education for everyone uh, can be um, as best as it can be. Just because one student has uh, good food security and the others don't, doesn't mean that one student's gonna shine because uh, you need everyone collectively. So that, that is remarkable. Um, and Nora, we're out of time. We started off, one of my first questions, I said, what motivates and inspires you to go into this? And I have to tell you, after this conversation, you motivate and inspire me. And I think that's wonderful. Um, so thank you so much for being here uh, to Hunger Free Vermont. I'm also going to thank Mike Cutler from Cat TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, and Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. Next week, we will have Patricia Ryan, who is an incredible nurse at uh, Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and our Cardiac Rehabilitation Center. Uh, you can send your questions for her to wellness at svhealthcare.org. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity, and we will see you next week.